You're listening to KYMN Radio, Real Radio, True Variety, bringing the Northfield, Minnesota area local news, high school sports, and great music since 1968. Enjoy weekends with Wendy, Saturday and Sunday mornings here on The One. Hello, this is Pauline Jennings. Welcome to Musician Talk. Well, I'm excited to say I have a new sponsor here to tell us about the solution his company is providing for COVID-19 testing. His name is Peter Schuster, and he is the president of Neuromics. Pete, tell us about Neuromics. Pauline, I'm delighted to be here today to share my story with you and your radio audience. And I'm especially excited because I'm a denizen of Northfield and a fan of Kim Radio. As far as Neuromics, uh, we're a 16-year-old company. Uh, We were heavily involved in uh, making cell-based assays and media. So because it's highly regulated, it was very easy for us to pivot and have the proper certifications to make uh, virus transport media and COVID-19 testing kits. Wonderful. Uh, tell us more about that and how, how that works. It's, it's uh, elegantly simple, Pauline. We make the media, and the media is designed to safely transport patient samples to sites for testing. The, the actual kits involve the media in a sterile tube with a swab, and we provide anything from the virus transport media or VTM to the entire kit. Who do you sell this to? We sell it everywhere from a nursing home in Seattle to New York City. We just shipped out 2,000 kits to New Jersey today. We're as far north as International Falls, Minnesota. We sold to a uh, hospital network up there, and we're south of the border. Can you tell me about the importance of these kits and testing? Our VTM is very rich in antibiotics, so it can keep the sample safe for a very long time. Whereas if the sample gets contaminated, it results in a false negative. And Mm. false negatives are very dangerous in the testing world. The other idea is to test as many people as we can, because by doing that, uh, we have a better chance of protecting against a second wave or a second outbreak. Wow. So the Work that you are doing at Neuromics is very, very important. Thank you for doing it. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about this product? Uh, I can be reached at 612-801-1007. I usually don't give out my number, but we're better together. That's right. And I'm available uh, from early in the morning to late at night. So don't be at all bashful about calling before or after hours. The other way people can find us is our website is neuromics.com. Well, thank you so much for doing this work. Thank you for sponsoring Musician Talk, and thank you for joining me. Well, it was my pleasure. I just, if you'll indulge me, I just have a little shout out that I'd like to give. Absolutely. Uh, we're sponsoring, Neuromas is sponsoring a national traveling under 21 team, Go Sunflowers. That is excellent. Go Sunflowers. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you, Pauline. Hello, this is Pauline Jennings. Welcome to Musician Talk. Interviews with people you know, people you've heard, and people you've heard about. 
a collection of candid, casual, and lively conversations with local area musicians about how music matters in their lives, our community, and beyond. You'll hear discussions with up-and-comers and those that have been performing for years. So glad to have you with me. Since the 1980s, John Manners has been a fixture in the Northfield music scene. It's just his guitar and him on stage and a very percussive foot, but he manages to completely fill a room. And it's clear to see by his beaming smile that he loves to play, sing, and tell musical stories. John is a first-rate singer-songwriter, but don't pigeonhole him into that genre. His music has a sometimes rock, sometimes blues feel, along with folk influence. All this to say, his music is one of a kind, 100% unique which also describes his colorful and bold lyrics. If you talk to John about his talent, well, he'll shrug it off. He's a humble and kind man. And now it's time to find out more. Let's talk with John Manners. John, welcome to Musician Talk. And I want you to know how you're doing when this time of isolation. I'm doing just fine. Uh, you know, it's like being retired, which I actually just became. I don't think it's going to change much for me. Yeah. Not a lot of differences. So I want to take you back to when you first started playing and how that felt and, you know, how it affected your life. Well, I started playing uh, very early. Uh, my parents gave me uh, guitar lessons for my eighth birthday. Um, and it's just been with me ever since. And, it's, and so when you picked up that guitar, was it awkward? Was it, did it feel right? Did, was it hard to practice? Or if it starts out kind of just easy and natural? Well, I think it was really uh, very frustrating in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, the guitar that I started out on was a Stella. Uh, it was a real, a real cheap instrument um, okay. that, that uh, the music teacher you know, loaned me as I took lessons. And I, I used that for the first year. And I like to think of it like had really high action and the strings felt like they were rusty. Oh no. I was, just, I was just a kid and uh, it was, you know, I remember crying about it. And at one point my parents said, you know, this is too hard. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, you don't have to continue with this. And the, I, th I think that they were using kind of some reverse psychology on me there, uh, which absolutely worked, you know, because I, I did not want to. Quit, you know. <laughs> That's interesting because my next question was going to be, why didn't you quit? But I guess it's because of psychology. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Well, uh, I was with the guitar for the first year, uh, and then, uh, or almost the first year, at Christmas time, I got a, a really nice Guild F hole guitar, which uh, which I had for a long time. How did that change things for you with well, the ease of? Playing. It made it easier on my fingers, I guess. Well, you know? That's true. <laughs> I would think after a year on a not so good guitar, your fingers would be pretty pretty calloused up. Calloused, yes, <laughs> exactly. they probably were. Exactly. So, do you remember the transition of it being frustrating and a and a chore to becoming something you wanted to do? Well, I started out. Uh, my guitar teacher had me in the Mel Bay system, which is a you know a system of I think there are six or seven books that you work through. And it was in that first uh, book, when we got to Volga Boatman, that I really clicked with that song. And I put my own spin on it. <laughs> you know? And so it was, I was just doing my own creative little thing there. And that, uh, from then on, it really was much better. 
So your, your ability to improvise is what really maybe charged the musical engine in your, in your brain to kick in. You know, that's funny. I've always thought that I didn't really learn to improvise until I got to be in, uh, in junior high school when I was in my first band, because at that point, you've got to start playing without music in front of you. And um, I felt like at that point, I um, had to start all over again. You know, because you have to take one note and put it with another note and figure out what notes go with it. It's not like you're reading anymore. And right. so it was really a step back. I've been playing for quite a while at that point already by the time I was 12 or 15. I've been playing for four or five years. And uh, I thought I was pretty good until I had to really, until I had to start to improvise. That's so interesting. So, so you didn't have the chords in front of you necessarily even, or are you talking about between the chords or, or soloing kind of things? Oh, soloing, yeah. Okay, got it. I feel like it's something that should be taught all along. You know, when you're starting to play an instrument, right away you should be figuring out what notes go together and how to, how to, how to do that. But generally, that doesn't happen. You know, you don't, you don't get that when you take lessons. To start having your brain think that way would be a big help, I think, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But now we found out that actually you were improvising the first year that you were playing, if you were added to that song. <laughs> yeah, well, that, you know, I still did have music in front of me. And sure. It was more like I was, I was doing an interpretation. I was adding a little syncopation or something. You know. Got it. Well, I call that improv. So, I, you know, what I like to focus on in this uh, interview and, music, and musician talk is not so much necessarily your musical journey as it relates to where you played, who you played with, but more about what it did to you as a, as a human being. And what mm -hmm. you think the influence on your life and your relationships uh, has been from playing? Well, I've I've been doing it for so long. Um, I, I get a I get different things out of it depending on what I'm doing. Um, sure. If I'm practicing, if I'm just practicing, it's it's really like a meditation for me. Hmm. Uh, I I get very re relaxed when I'm done. Um, I I can just practice and practice, and I, and I just get uh, it, it's relaxing. Uh, when I'm recording. Uh, I, I just get lost in it. I can be down in my studio working on a number and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'll just do one or two more takes on this and then you know, I'll be up in 10 minutes for dinner and then an hour and a half goes by and I'm in trouble. <laughs> and it just goes by. I just get lost in it. And then if I'm, uh, if I'm performing, that's kind of an energizing thing. Mm -hmm. So I, mean, I, I, get, I get different... Uh, I get different results depending on what I'm doing. That's lovely. I, I love that. So it relaxes you when you practice, which is absolutely the opposite of what it did the first year that you're taking lessons. <laughs> that made me cry. <laughs> exactly. It's been good for me too, because I'm kind of, uh, I'm not an outgoing guy. I'm not, I'm kind of introspective. And okay. so to get out there and, you know, perform, uh, it's, I've been told it's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde thing that I've got going. So, I'm, so are you saying that on stage you're outgoing? I'm out, yeah, on stage I'm outgoing. No, you won't hear me talk much between songs. I don't do the stage pattern thing. Sure. But I, I, do, uh, I, I do feel a release that's good for me to do. I love that word, release. In so many ways, release is good for our bodies, uh, mm -hmm. no matter if it's emotional or intellectual, physical, release is good. I think that when you see John Manners on stage, it's uh, very evident that it's a, a joy place for you. 
uncomfortable. Yeah. So throughout your life, I'm wondering how it has affected your relationships throughout your life with uh, friends and family. Well, most of my friends have been musicians. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always felt that I'm a person that doesn't really have all that many friends. Um, but the ones I do have have been players. Isn't that a gift? That if you're the kind of person who doesn't necessarily make friends easily or you're shy or you're not outgoing, um, music and sharing music can be a gift in that way that it can bring you friends and create a circle really? of friends. That's true. Uh, people think they know you once, once they've seen you play. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's kind of an interesting part of it. Right. Well, why don't you expand on that a little bit? So there's the difference between the circle of friends you have that are musicians who probably do understand you a lot more than, an, well, for sure understand you better than an audience member does. Well, actually, they probably do know me. I, I think that the interesting part is that I don't know them. You know, but they um, know me. Um, yes. Because they have seen a, a slice of me that I've, re- that I've revealed. I think that when I listen to your songs and I hear your lyrics, they are um, very personal, a lot of them. And so you're right. Just listening to your songs, I get a feel for you. So John, uh, you sent me a couple songs and I listened to Tearing It Down and I'd love, I'd love to hear that song now and share it with the audience. But I'd like you to tell us a little bit about it and why you chose it as one of the songs you wanted to have on this interview. Okay, Tearing It Down is about um, the house that my father built. Okay. And it was back in 1950 that he and his brother Bill bought property in Connecticut. They'd been living in New York City. And they would go to the property in Norwalk, Connecticut on the weekends, and they would start building this house. They'd never built a house before. You know, they had to use shovels to dig the foundation. You know, they, were, they did not have uh-huh. any power tools. They would use a handsaw uh-huh. to cut the two-by-fours. And he learned a lot, and he learned so much that he went on to write uh, for Family Handyman, and uh, he eventually catapulted that into being the building editor for House Beautiful Magazine. Oh, wow. And while he was there, uh, our house, which he had built, was, fe- was featured in one of the issues. As he uh, grew older into his 90s, uh, the house fell into disrepair. Just things were just really it was a losing battle and by the time he, he died um, it was it was a complete disaster mm. and uh, my brothers and I got together and we decided that it had to be torn down and so it was a real sad thing and uh, I, wrote, I wrote this song about it I thought it was a metaphor it's so interesting to find out it's not I thought you were oh, talking no. about the tearing down of relationships but I love the fact that this is a true story. So let's listen to it now. Tear up Leave 
There's no filling up Soon my memory Will be all that remains I will carry you Forever in the winter Some large part of me remains Tearing it down How can this be? It was a whole different listen now that I knew that the song was about a real story in your life. That's, uh, <laughs> it's very touching. It's very Thank touching. You. So I want to go back a little bit to uh, when I asked you to send me your bio, you sent me this information about, I think it was early in your musical career, that you have these couple breaks that didn't materialize. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you want to fill the audience in on that a little bit and then talk to me about disappointment in in music and how that translates into your music or if it did well sure back in the early 70s i guess it must have been about 1972 i ran around a while with andrew luke oldham who is the producer of the rolling stones we went into the studio together and recorded for uh, the rare earth label uh, subsidiary of motown 
And it didn't, didn't work out. It was a very exciting time. Um, and I kind of liken it to these days, if you were on The Voice or American Idol and got sent home. <laughs> that's kind of what, what happened. <laughs> it wasn't all my fault either. You know, when I look back at it, my lyrics weren't all that great at that point yet. But there was also, uh, he had issues. Uh, he was drinking and smoking a lot. The whole thing was kind of, uh, it was a wild ride. It was, uh, you know, it was very disappointing, of course. But sometimes I think that if I'd succeeded back then, I wouldn't still be playing now. Interesting. I, what kept going through my head, a victim of life circumstances, uh, that song. Uh, but that's an interesting thing to say, that you don't think you'd still be playing if you had had taken that traje- trajectory. Um, I don't really know, of course. Right, but, of course. Uh, I think, you know, with that success, if I'd had it, there would have been a lot of compromises that would have, uh, that I would have had to have made. And, um, you know, as it turned out, I never had to really make any compromises. I've always just done what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, these days with, with the recording gear that everybody can afford, you know, there's just no, no, no stopping me. That's great. And with that attitude, let's go into this next song that has a lot of attitude. Tell me about Poor Rich. There was a point where I decided I needed to get more into my lyrics. And uh, this was after, this happened after I started reading uh, Carl Hyassen and Elmore Leonard, uh, who are two of my favorite, uh, you know, pulp fiction kind of writers. And uh, the way they write, uh, they, they take a few characters, they make up a few characters, and they put them in a room together and see what they do to each other not really knowing exactly where it's going to go. So that's what I did with this song. I, I, got, I got, well, I'm going to have these characters uh, and I'm going to put them in a bar sitting next to each other and see what they do to each other. And, um, you know, the song is, what, it's three minutes or a little bit more than three minutes maybe. And it's really, it's something to be able to tell a whole story, a whole scene in that amount of time and have it feel natural. And I, I feel like I succeeded on this one. You I did. Really, yeah. You did so much so that I, that I was re, I was living it a little bit. I mean, you really, oh, yeah. really brought me in. What a gift to be able to do that. You take just one more step, I'm gonna knock you down. Jack spat those words of riches, he still spun around. His friend's hand had traveled up the thigh of Lollie. Sure, Jack was drunk, but not so drunk he couldn't see. Richie littered all Jack, he saw was red. He saw the two of them in bed. A fist clenched tight, it shot out. Richie felt Jack's girl, she screamed out. head when it went crack now he's laying very still is his time up is he not coming back no way rich could have helped himself her booty was too near a tiny voice cried no 
voice he could not hear Nothing really rich could do That girl, she's so fine You try to sit next to Laura Lee And not go out of your mind Laura said, my God, Jack, what have you done? I swear to God, Jack, you are the only one That straying hand, Jack, I thought was yours Jack, he saw was red He saw two of them in bed A fist clenched tight, it shot out Richie fell Jack's girl, she screamed out It made an awful sound The floor and poor Rick's head The question really now is he dead? They'd been the best of friends until that fateful hour. That move on Lava Lee turned their friendship sour. Poor Richard had him none. Now near a whole year He wasn't thinking good He'd had way too much beer Laura said, my God, Jack What have you done? I swear to God, Jack You are the only one That straying hand, Jack I thought was yours To stream down her face Unto the blood Upon the I'm wondering about disappointment in in my musical career and how that affected you because it's it happens to all of us. Uh, I'm an actress. You you auditioned for 20 shows for one, you know. So rejection's just part of the part of the gig. Well, I think when uh, something is denied you, sometimes it makes you want to just do it more. Uh-huh. So I mean, if anything, that was the case. I think. I think that's part of your makeup. I think some people say to heck with it. So good on you to, to work harder. How has music affected your relationship? I mean, I know you're, we talked about friendships, but how about in your family? How has music played a role in that? My kids, both of them, uh, I tried to teach them music uh, early on. My son, Andy plays guitar and still plays it. Uh, I made a mistake with my son, Nick, in giving him piano lessons which when I wasn't a piano player. And he got to be quite good at piano, but um, it did not carry on. And when he was growing up, did you play guitar with Andy? 
Well, you know, he would have lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we would do that. He took lessons from you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then that must have been a good relationship because that's a tough thing to do as a it parent. It is. A t- you're not supposed to do that either. No. Uh, there's a story about uh, <laughs> Dave, Dave Brubeck who would give lessons to his children. And uh, he knew that, you know, it wasn't good for a parent to give lessons. So what he would do is he would, he would put on a costume and come in the... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, he would wear a mask or whatever, you know, and he would dress up and give his kids lessons. <laughs> Apparently it worked because they all, they all still play. You made me love him. I'm going to go and listen to his music now after that story. That is great. <laughs> I love that. He lived, he lived in, the, in the town next to mine, in Wilton, Connecticut. I went and met him once. I went up and knocked on his door. That's you something did. I bought. Yeah, I knocked on his door. He invited me in. He was very gracious. Well, I want to thank you, John. What a, what a treasure to talk to you. And what a fun. I've been smiling the whole time and laughing, and it's just a joy. So thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks for asking me. I'm glad I did. Thank you. Once again, thank you so very much for tuning in to Musician Talk. Please join me, Pauline Jennings, for a new musician interview every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. right here on KYMN. Enjoy your evening, folks. Keep up with local news and events at KYMNRadio.net. Terry Knight posts a daily newscast Monday through Friday, as well as updates and other community news. And it's free. Stop by KYMNRadio.net frequently. Look for updates on our Facebook page, too. KYMNRadio.net. Still a friend you can count on.